This is The Lemonade Principle. I'm Chris Roberts. And I'm Catherine Kirby. This week, we're joined by former professional rugby player and now team manager of the Bristol Bears, Nick Fenton-Wells. We hear Nick's story, starting in South Africa, where he played for the Stormers, before moving to England to join Saracens, where he began his MBA at Durham University Business School. We hear how the club encouraged him to explore his options for the future, and how the subject he studied for his dissertation became something that he saw play out later when he joined the Bedford Blues and then the Bristol Bears. We also discussed the importance of having the right mindset in elite sport, and how the right culture can bring about transformational change and ultimately success on the pitch. Here is some of what you can hear this week. So when I got to Saracens, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be fully focused on professional rugby and that's what I'm going to focus on for the next two years. Um, To which their uh, professional development manager turned around and said, absolutely not. So I spent my my first year, I was actually at Saracens when I started my MBA and then I completed it in my final two years, well, my two years at Bedford Blues. A new coach came in. And I'll say that there was, there, and it's still ongoing, but there was a transformational change that, that happened at, at Bristol. And that's not purely from the name change, it was Bristol Rugby. So it went from Bristol Rugby to Bristol Bears. Um, there was a complete culture shift um, from where Bristol Rugby were to where they are now. Having studied it and got to a place where I was prior to the change taking place, it was actually so evident to see, and you could see each little cog um, moving um, and how it was formulated and how it was taking place and the overall picture of what the change process was looking like. If you look at, you know, any successful team um, in any sport, you, you first look at their culture and, and you know, what type of environment they're breeding. Um, and that's what's most important is getting everybody to believe in what it is you're trying to achieve. Here our conversation with Nick Fenton-Wells after this. This is The Lemonade Principle. A podcast from Durham University Business School. I'm Chris Roberts. And I'm Catherine Kirby. Hi listeners, welcome back to the podcast. Our guest this week was born in Cape Town in South Africa. He had an eight-year professional rugby playing career, representing the Stormers, Bedford Blues, Saracens, and he spent three years with the Bristol Bears. He did his MBA at Durham in 2016. He's the owner of Talk Training, and after retiring from playing rugby, he became team manager at Bristol Bears. Nick Fenton-Wells, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be on, and thank you for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Why don't we start by giving us a little bit of an introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure, no problem. Um, yeah, as you already mentioned, uh, born born in Cape Town, grew up there um, for the majority of my life, and have been in the UK for the last nine years now. So, yeah, time flies, um, but it's been great and, and really enjoyed it. Right. Would you um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your career journey, starting back in in South Africa? Yeah, of course. Um, so I. So I played professional rugby for eight years, but prior to that, um, 
when I, I started traveling straight after school and always stayed involved in rugby wherever I was. So I spent some time in Ireland um, working and playing for a local club there. Um, and when I came back to South Africa, I decided that I, well, I wanted to continue my studies and my tertiary education. Um, but in order to sort of have that camaraderie and teamwork and, and things like that and just feel a part of a team, I, I joined my university rugby club too um, and just continued playing. It was, it was a great social club um, and a competitive rugby club at that. So I kind of got the best of both worlds in terms of <clears throat> staying physically fit um, while studying. Um, and... During that time, a, there was a competition that started in South Africa called the Vasi Cup, which was it aimed at bridging the gap between professional, young professional athletes who were joining rugby academies um, and a professional setup or a professional competition so that those players could study while they were playing rugby at a serious level. So essentially what they're trying to do is instead of sending players direct to academies, they were creating opportunities for players who were ambitious enough to go uh, play rugby professionally to study at the same time. So should rugby not work out as a career, they had a fallback plan or something on their CV that would allow them to get into, into work or sort of just give them a sort of extra, um, you know, something on their CV so that employers find them employable. Um, and I was fortunate enough to take part in this competition for three years um, while I finished my, my undergraduate and postgraduate courses. Um, and during that time, I decided, I made a decision with myself that if I didn't go professional after um, my third year of playing Varsity Cup, um, I would knock rugby on the head. I'd continue to play socially, but I would move into a more corporate focused role. Um, or look for work outside of, of professional sport. Fortunately, um, when I finished my last exam, I actually got called up to um, the professional squad within Cape Town, um, which is Western Province and the Stormers. And I ended up playing a year there uh, before moving over to Saracens in the UK. Mm, that's quite a journey, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Was. It's, yeah, it Probably. sounds like education was really important to you the whole time, though. Yeah, uh, it definitely was. Um, it, it's a weird one. I, I wasn't certain on what it was I wanted to do. So um, it was more about just continuing, continuing to upskill myself. So tertiary education, um, work experience, etc. So um, although... I was studying, I, I would say I probably wasn't necessarily focused on uh, the final outcome of, of where my career was going to go. Um, I was still ambitious to play professional rugby while I was studying. So mm -hmm. it wasn't um, a case of doing a course going, okay, well, I'm going to be, you know, a financial accountant or I'm going to be a chartered accountant or I'm going to do law. Um, it was more a case of going, okay, well, what can I study that's going to give me a good broad skill set um, and something that I can continue with as I move forward um, and yeah it's it, it, as important as it was it, it definitely I was focused on getting it done I, I think that's 
that was probably the primary goal, um, as opposed to going, okay, well, I'm going to build a serious career with, with the education that I've got to date. Yeah, well, I mean, it's worked out well for you, you know, the direction that you did go in. But I mean, talk us through that move. Um, so obviously you moved from South Africa over to the UK. What was that like? Um, it was interesting. It was something that I certainly needed. I was looking for it, to be honest. So um, I spent, yeah, I said, I, I spent a year playing professionally in South Africa. Um, I wanted a change of scenery. I needed a different experience. Um, Cape Town's a beautiful city. It's a great city to live in. It's a great city to grow up in. But it can become quite insular and quite small. Um, everybody knows everybody, really. And it's... Um, at, although it is quite a big city, it's it's something that I needed to break away from for my own personal development. So I was I was looking for opportunities elsewhere. Um, I was exploring the idea of going to Europe, um, but fortunately I got an opportunity to play at Saracens, and it was just one I couldn't turn down. So I moved over, spent my first six months there, um, and after my first couple of months there, I got offered a further eighteen months on my on my contract. So um, that kind of set me up for, for yeah, the next two years in the UK. I wasn't, I wasn't certain how long I was going to stay in the UK for. I was looking for the experience and then potentially going to go back to South Africa. Um, but, you know, as time goes, they were the ones who encouraged me to do my MBA through Durham. So um, when I signed up for that, I knew that I was going to be in the UK for, for a fair few years. Mm-hmm. So you did your MBA whilst you were playing for, for Bedford Blues. What what was it? I mean, I know you mentioned just there that they, they sort of encouraged you to do it, but what was it that motivated you to do an MBA in the first place? Um, I So when I arrived at, at Saracens, so I spent my, I, my first year, I was actually at Saracens when I started my MBA and then I completed it right. in my final two years, well, my two years at Bedford Blues. Um. But it was when I arrived at Saracens, I'd done my undergrad and my postgraduate courses. And I thought, well, you know, that's probably sufficient in terms of where I am um, with my tertiary education at the minute. And, you know, I I might think about doing an MBA later on down the line. Um, And when I arrived at Saracens, which I hadn't been exposed to from a professional sports perspective in South Africa, because the as I mentioned, the academies were solely focused on rugby. Um, Varsity Cup was focused on education and rugby, but it was a it wasn't a professional setup. It was more it was kind of semi professional. Um, so when I got to Saracens, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be fully focused on professional rugby, and that's what I'm going to focus on for the next two years. Um, to which their uh, professional development manager turned around and said, absolutely not. You can't focus just on rugby. A, because you need to have something at the end of it where you can, you know, if something were to happen, you had to pick up an injury or whatever it might be and your career ended tomorrow, you'd feel confident going into um, another job, another career path, whatever it might be. So I said, well, I know, but I've studied, you know, I've done my undergrad, I've done my postgraduates and the profession, and, and that was quite a naive way of looking at things because he turned around and he said to me, well, can you ever really stop learning? And the reality is, is no, you don't, you learn every day. So um, I just, I decided, I, I knew that I wanted to do my MBA. I just thought that, you know, I didn't really know when the time was going to be correct or right for me to do it. Um 
and I spoke to him about it and we kind of threw a few ideas around about what, what to do next. And that was just the best option in terms of uh, the flexibility of the course, um, the value for money of the course. Um, <clears throat> the fact that I wanted to do it um, was a huge draw factor. It was just the only thing that I needed to consider was the time. Um, I knew that I had a bit of additional time on my hands with my playing uh, career. And so I guess I just, you know, decided to take the plunge and dove straight in. That's really interesting. So, so, so you said the team had a professional development manager. Is that kind of yeah. common practice in sport where, where there's somebody in the club who's encouraging you to think beyond like later on down the line? Um, I wouldn't say that it's common practice. It's common practice today. Mm. Uh, nine years ago, it probably wasn't common practice at all. No. I think it was quite unique um, when I first joined Saracens. It wasn't really done at, at many other clubs, although there was a big focus on what was being done with academies. There wasn't that same level of commitment to senior squad and uh, players in the senior squad, <clears throat> which is interesting because, you know, sometimes it's those people who you need to really focus on in terms of helping them develop their careers because, the closer you get to retirement, the more anxious that transition stage becomes. So um, it was interesting. I, you know, and there were a lot of things that we went through. I mean, I did a few psychometric tests um, just to see exactly what it is I wanted to do and sort of give me a character profile and things like that. So um, it wasn't necessarily just, okay, well, that's what you want to do. It was also looking at, you know, what I was suited to doing, which was great. Um, now it is becoming a lot more commonplace because a mental health is becoming a huge issue in, in professional sports. Um, and a lot, a lot of that stems from the anxiety of players not knowing where their next contract's going to come from or what the next career move is going to be. So if you can add a bit of confidence to a player by helping him plan for the future away from his professional career, you kind of not I wouldn't say mitigating that um, uncertainty but you giving him the chance him or her the chance to find out what it is they want to do post their career and having in doing that you you're removing a bit of that sort of feeling of uncertainty of what it might be that that they want to do next so it's definitely become more relevant um, and more sport uh, clubs and well, different sports are really getting involved in in professional development for athletes because there's no doubt that you know most sports careers, professional sports careers, aren't really that long lived, and you don't earn enough money to be able to set yourself up for the future once you retire, unless you you know have a great financial planner and you're in professional football at the highest level. So. Um, with that in mind, professional development for athletes is hugely important. It's really good to hear that, that clubs are thinking about that, to be honest. And I was going to ask you about whether study and whether MBAs in particular are something that professional sports people think about, like for what happens next after their career. But it sounds like clubs are thinking about that too and almost nudging the people that don't think about it to make sure that everybody goes in the right direction for when the time comes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've got a professional development at Bristol Bears now um, who started who started last year 
um, and he's done some incredible work. And I, I guess the thing is, sorry, and just, just to allude to the com the comments about the NBA, yeah, we've got a player who's doing his NBA at the moment, mm. um, which is great because he's interested in business. He wants to start his own business. Um, he is very proactive and forward thinking. He's spent some time doing some work experience with a property management company. So he's switched on, he's on the ball. Not all players are like that, unfortunately. So they don't necessarily know or they haven't carved out what their career post-professional sports is going to be. So in steps a professional development manager um, and he can really sit down and help players carve out what that future might look like for them. And the reality is, is that a lot of them won't know and a lot of them will try things that they might think they want to do. Um go in and spend some time doing that through work experience or study or whatever it might be and turn around and go, you know what, that's actually not for me. But that's not a negative thing. That's a, that's a positive thing because you actually tick off something that you may have invested time post your career going, well, I'm going to try this out and then find out two years down the line that it's not for you. So a lot of it can be sort of hit and miss, but a lot of it, if it is hit and miss is, allowing you to sort of check boxes about things that you don't want to do and mm -hmm. therefore helps refine what it is you want it, what, what it, exactly it is that you want to do. So, um, yeah, the, it, it's important players in, engaging in professional development is a challenge. They are all fully aware that they need to do it, um, but they don't necessarily believe that they've got the time to do it. It's funny, though. If you take away certain elements of things in their lives that they are doing, you'll be able to get time back where you can spend that time on, on extracurricular activities or tertiary education or um, work experience or short courses, diplomas, certificates, et cetera, et cetera. We all find excuses, don't we, when we have to do something like that? Yeah. I'm, I'm interested as well, because I suppose it was it was certainly unusual there, and it's probably quite unusual now for a professional sports player to, to do an MBA. Um, how did you feel you connected with the rest of the cohort? Did you feel like you got a lot from them coming from different backgrounds, maybe more of a business background? Yeah, I did. I So there was a, um, one guy in particular I spoke we spent a lot of time um, working together. We're in the same cohort. He worked for um, uh, one of the cruise cruise liner uh, companies um, as an engineer and an IT engineer. And we spent a lot of time talking. So, you know, we're always doing the same modules um, apart from the electives. So all our uh, core modules we did together um, and then we picked up a couple of the same elective modules, which was great. So we were always bouncing ideas off each other, um, always learning from one another, sort of giving different spins and perspectives on on how we interpreted the theory, which was fantastic because it just got, allowed me to think sort of slightly broader picture outside the box a bit more where um, my MBA was largely focused on sports organizations. His was focused on more IT and around cruise liners. Um, just having different experience and different stories and different insights into, into that type of industry was hugely beneficial. Um, but I, I will say that when I was doing my MBA, I, 
I did sort of a more blended approach as opposed to fully online. Um, and the reason for that was I really did enjoy those taught modules at Durham. Um, I enjoyed coming up in my summers because typically we would have five weeks off in the off season um, and allowed me to pick up two modules minimum in the summer, which was great. Um, it just allowed me to connect with more MBA students and again, bounce ideas off, find out a bit more about what they're doing um, the different industries that they're involved in. And it's, you don't often get that, although you do um, on the, um, with the online modules, it was great because, you know, people engaged in the online uh, tutor groups and things like that, which are fantastic. Um, but not everybody does. Whereas when you're in a taught environment, you get a sort of a much wider variety of answers that people give and experiences that they share. Um, and then you have networking evenings and things like that where you can really meet face-to-face, -face, which is fantastic. Um, I did find that the online MBA, the, the tutors in particular were brilliant. So whenever I engage with um, the tutors on for any of the given courses, you know, they, they responded in a timely fashion and with always some great advice and additional readings and, and pointers and things like that, which was, which was brilliant. Great. What what benefit did you feel the, the MBA program had, I suppose, more um, the academic side of things other than, you know, interacting with, with um, your classmates? I know your dissertation looked at enhancing employee engagement during change, with specifically with elite sports in mind. So that sounds like an interesting to topic. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah. Well, firstly, the MBA gave me the confidence to start my own business from, you know, business functionality perspective and getting all the processes in place um, for the business that I run with my brother. Um, but in terms of sports organization, it's actually funny. I, I genuinely believe that had I done my dissertation a year later, I probably would have had a lot more um, data to go off and work off. Um, I had, although the transition that we were making as a rugby club when I first joined Bristol Rugby was one from um, two different leagues. Bristol had been in a in the lower leagues and had joined uh, the top flight of uh, Premiership Rugby the year that I joined Bristol. Um, but we got relegated that year. So it's quite funny in that my dissertation, although I outlined certain steps and and uh, various things, um, recommendations that the club could have taken on board, you know, which may have helped or may not have helped, who knows. Um, we got relegated again back down to the championship the following season. So, and <clears throat> with that, a new coach came in. And I'll say that there was, there, and it's still ongoing, but there was a transformational change that, that happened at, at Bristol. And that's not purely from the name change. It was Bristol Rugby. So it went from Bristol Rugby to Bristol Bears. Um, there's a complete culture shift um, from where Bristol Rugby were to where they are now. Um, with that, there was quite a high turnover of staff, which was, which not staff, uh, I'd say, the professional playing group, um, which was very interesting to see because it just outlined exactly, you know, when you get that resistance to a change process, um, how you need to manage and how you need to implement uh, the vision and the strategy so that 
you achieve the things that you want to achieve. Um, <clears throat> you know, I say that it's, it is ongoing because transformational change takes time and it's, you know, it's, it's a long process, but you can see the small short-term goals that, that we've achieved um, over the last three years, which is evident that the change is working and is going in the right direction. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, one of the big things was clarity um, for where the club was going, the direction in which the club was going, um, and clarity in terms of what was expected of each each individual within the club to, in order to achieve that. Um, as I said, there was a lot of resistance to it in the beginning, uh, and as such, you know, it's taken time to get the right people on board to support that change process. Um, but it's certainly the, the wheels are certainly in motion and the club is going in the right direction. And hopefully this will be, you know, a transformational process that is sustainable in the long term um, because of what's been implemented now. Um, to say that the engagement of players now versus when I first joined is chalk and cheese, that is literally the case. Um, and it's so evident by the commitment that players make when it comes to training, when it comes to additional work, when it comes to analysis, when it comes to um, culture and buy-in and trust of, of one another and individuals within the organization where when I first joined, you know, I don't want to speak out of term, but I'm sad to say it wasn't there. Yeah. It was there. It was, it was a completely different environment. Um, I don't think there was a lot of trust amongst the group. I don't think that there was a lot of commitment amongst the group and hence the reason why you see um, or why there was that, <clears throat> that drop off and, and why unfortunately we got relegated after being one, uh, spending one year in the premiership. It's interesting that you say, I mean, about, about you know, the club were, were relegated a few times and then there were these change processes and, and the club are doing well now, right? Doing yeah. really well now. Would you say that's had a lot to do with the success at the moment? I'd say the success is a lot to do with the transformational change that took place. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's no doubt. And I mean, I mean, as somebody who's who's kind of studied this, and did you find it strange almost watching it happen when you had the kind of knowledge to see what was happening? I mean, how did that how did that affect you? Was it was it an interesting experience? Yeah, I mean, that's why you know hindsight's an exact science. But and I feel I don't feel frustrated. I just feel that I would have got a lot more out of my dissertation had I done it a year or two later because I would have had so much more to work with, mm. uh, which would have been great. But at, again, as you say, having studied it and got to a place where I was prior to the change taking place, it was actually so evident to see and you could see each little cog um, moving um, and how it was formulated and how it was taking place and the overall picture of what the change process was looking like um and how i could play my part in in supporting that but it was just so interesting to you know take theory from my dissertation and be able just to understand it fully and go wow you know this is happening here and this is where we want to go um and this is how it fits you know into the big picture it was great um yeah so so it's been really interesting to watch and see how bristol bears has developed um you know, and they've taken this path and how it's been implemented, it's, it's, it's been great. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I suppose change never stops, really, does it? So it's kind of the, yes, it continued and there was more transformational change after you completed your dissertation, but there's never really an end point to that. Um, I think Chris probably relates, having recently completed mm-hmm. his MBA in a similar sort of topic. <laughs> yeah, whatever she can. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's. I think there's a lot of similarities, though, isn't there, from, from yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting what we're going through at the moment. It's almost like there's a, another huge transformational change with COVID and, you know, all of the restrictions and face masks and working from home and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are amid a sort of significant change and I mean you'll appreciate that this will be something that changes the landscape for all organizations in terms of how they operate with um, their staff and working from home and um, going back into the office and you know what's the office environment going to look like you know it's going to be there's more hot desking there's going to be smaller offices because people can do work from home and then they can come to the office once or twice or three times a week um but what i what i will say and what is so evident is that when we were operating in a five-day working week you know people long for time more time at home Mm. i think we're seeing the opposite of that i think people are longing to get back into the office i think they're longing to, to spend time with their work colleagues to you know reconnect with their teams not just via a zoom meeting um, to have that personal interaction to, you know, bounce ideas around it. It can be quite difficult to, you know, sit on a Zoom meeting when, you, when you're doing a, you know, a project plan or when you're, you know, trying to develop new ideas or whatever it might be to, to do that uh, remotely. So that we underestimate, um, you know, the importance of company culture and that camaraderie. It's not just in, in team sport where you see that you you really get a feel for that in organizations that where people don't have the chance to go back into the office. Um, you know, I'm fortunate that my wife works for a, you know, a big law firm. Um, and I, you know, spending more time at home, I can see how much she craves to get back into the office to, to spend that time with their teams and, and working, you know, with, with the people within the office. So she gets that feeling of belonging and, you know, that sense of, of teamwork and, as I said, camaraderie. And and it's just, a, I, I guess that's, yeah, it's a, it's a sense of being, isn't it? A sense of belonging. Um, and it's going to be even more evident now um, for organizations to focus on that because, you know, there are all sorts of things that occur, you know, working from home in terms of and how, you know, relevant mental health is becoming. But you know, we need to look after the people that work within our organizations now. It's it's so important. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned culture there as well, and you've talked about, about things like mindset um, previously. How important do you think culture is um, and having the right mindset too, kind of in, a, in an elite sports setting, but also do you think that transfers over to, to the business world too? Yeah, definitely. I think in elite sport, um, it's typically, you know, at the center front and center of of how teams perform obviously you need the right individuals with you know have the necessary skill sets to perform what you want them to perform but if you look at you know any successful team um in any sport you, you first look at their culture and and you know what type of environment they're breeding 
Um, and that stems from having clarity of vision to what the mission is to the leaders um, and how they drive that vision and, and drive it forward. Is it done in a way that is, you know, autocratic and it has to be done like in such a way, or is it something that develops over time through trust and through hard work and, and all those types of things. And the best thing is, <laughs> is when people believe in something um, or they believe in the vision and the purpose and the direction in which the club is going, you do, you see how natural that culture is, uh, the development of that culture is. Um, and that's what's most important is getting everybody to believe in what it is you're trying to achieve. And if you get the right people on the bus to believe in where you want to take the club, for instance, in our organization, where the club's going in the direction in which the club's going, then, and you get the leaders in the right positions to drive that forward, you know, you, you're starting on the front foot because you can always develop skills, but you can't, you don't necessarily always have the right people in the right places in order to drive that purpose and that vision forward. So, um, I mean, when, when Pat Lamb came in um, at Bristol Bears, it was evident that what was most important was the direction in which the club wanted to go. And you either wanted to be a part of that journey or you didn't. And there was no problem if you didn't, but you weren't going to be a part of the club because we couldn't afford to have any passengers who were going to drag us back in terms of where we wanted to see the club go. Um, and from there, it was about, you know, implementing the rugby plan and, and getting people up to a skill set that they could develop and implement the game plan that we wanted to implement. Um, but all of that filters down from the vision and the purpose and, and where the club's going. It's, it starts at the top with, with complete clarity um, and then understanding exactly what your role is within you know, the bigger picture in order to achieve what the club wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting and it's been, it's been fantastic to watch, but you get that trust and you get that motivation through people driving the standards um, in order to achieve, you know, what it is that we want to achieve as a club. And if you, if you can get that and you get, as I said, the right people in the right positions, you know, then it filters down to anybody who joins the club who's new because they come and they go, wow, you know, those guys are elite athletes. They train hard. They do extras. They spend time studying their opposition. They spend time understanding themselves and what they need to do to improve. Um, and in turn, that breeds a culture that, that people actually trust one another, that they want to get better for the team and not just themselves. And, 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 you know, that comes again, that also comes with the fact that we have a saying here that you enter the rugby program at Bristol Bears as, as a person, but we want to make sure that you exit the rugby program at Bristol Bears, a better person. So you'll come in and you might not fit the mold, but you'll be here for a year or two years or six months or whatever it might be. But within that time, we hope that you develop and we'll try and put those processes in place that you develop and become a better version of yourself when you leave here. Mm -hmm. um, so that people feel committed and they feel like, you know, they have a purpose as part of the club. 
um, and it's making that and make, making people feel like they want to be a part of the club um, and that they're not just a number here. They're not just an asset. They're here because they're here to do a job for the team, for the club, for the direction in which the club's going. Um, and that's hugely important in terms of getting that buy-in, getting that trust and developing that motivation. Mm. You speak very eloquently about leadership and I think what you say makes a lot of sense. When you retired as a player and made that transition to, to team manager, did you find that a big change? Um, it was. It was quite a difficult change in that by the time that I came to make the decision that I was going to retire from rugby, I had developed relationships within the squad with guys who became close friends of mine. Um, and the difficulty is that when you move into management is that you, you don't, you can't necessarily hold those same relationships, um, or friendships in the same way that you would as, as a player. So yeah. although that was a huge positive for me and it was a massive benefit in me going into this role because I gained a lot of trust from the squad already, um, it was difficult because I saw my mates day to day and I couldn't necessarily have those matey interactions with them like I would have as a rugby player. So um, that's certainly been a challenge and it's something that I've tried to work on away from rugby so that I stay mates with those guys who I'm friends with, but you can't, you'll appreciate that you can't, you can't have preferential treatment because guys were your mates prior to you going into a team manager role. So um, I've got, you know, it's only fair to the whole squad that I treat everybody the same way um, that I treat them as athletes uh, first and foremost, and as members of, of the, of the squad, um, you know, and then I'll work on those friendships outside of, outside of the rugby environment, just because, I'm not going to drop them as my friends immediately just because I've got a new career goal or I've got a new career direction. Um, so we find time away from the rugby environment to catch up and whether it be, you know, going for a surf or not now at the moment, but going for a coffee or going for dinner, whatever it might be, you know, we still, I still have those friendships with the guys that I was really close to when I, when I retired from the game professionally. So can you tell us a little bit more about what your current role and maybe give us a, a bit of a day in the life? <laughs> um, Jeepers, it's, uh, it's <laughs> one. It's a lot of everything. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure quite where to start. So first and foremost, for me, um, it's about making sure that every player that is a Bristol Bear um, has the necessary documentation um, in terms of passports, visas, um, and registrations um, in order to represent Bristol Bears on a match day. So there is a whole host of things that need to be done um, in terms of getting players registered. Um, if they're English qualified players, getting the EQP status updated with the RFU so that um, they represent the club as an English qualified player. Uh, this all ties into various funding that the club receives. Um, so that would be front and foremost, is making sure that the team that gets selected uh, in the week is able to play on the weekend, um, which is great because a lot of that stuff you need to done, get done uh, prior to the season starting. Um, but it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of 
making sure that uh, the necessary visas and governing body endorsements are there so that the players who are internationals um, are allowed to be registered with the RFU as a player. Um, and then I've got to stay on top of things like the EQB status. So we need to have a specific amount on average throughout the season of English qualified players playing within our team so that we get the necessary funding um, from the RFU. Um, and which is a, it's a very good process because obviously it develops English qualified players and that's what we want. We want more England reps. We want more uh, England reps from Bristol. Um, and that's one of the missions and part of, you know, the bigger picture for, for Bristol Bears. Um, then it's all around logistics management. So um, on away days, making sure that we've got hotels booked, um, the necessary travel arrangements done. So if we're flying to Europe again, you know, COVID's thrown up a, a massive storm um, in terms of making sure that all that paperwork is done from quarantine exemptions when returning to the UK to, um, you know, making sure that all the players are have the necessary visas again. So some players require Schengen visas, some staff require Schengen visas to travel. Um, thankfully for the majority, most don't, but that can be very challenging, um, especially when there's a short turnaround. Visa centers are currently not operating like they, they would um, you know, prior to pandemic. So ensuring that we get those visas signed off and done is can be challenging. Um, yeah, making sure just uh, sort of being that conduit between uh, all the departments within the organization. So um, keeping the relevant lines of communication open between the, you know, the coaches, the medical staff, um, the media staff, myself as team manager, the players, um, and making sure that all the necessary messages that need to go out to the players are going out to the players as and when they should. Um, and then also working with the commercial side. So, um, you know, ensuring sponsors are happy, making sure that, you know, the player sponsors are getting what they have been agreed in their contracts with the, with the players. So doing corporate activation, um, arranging all of that, scheduling a lot of the community work, uh, thankfully, we've got players in leadership roles that help with that. So um, that's really about getting the players to engage with it. But then I still do all the planning and, and making sure that, you know, the players are aware of any corporate activation that's coming up. Um, we're obviously looking at how we do that differently now. So a lot of um, community and corporate activation is done via Zoom or, um, or uh, Microsoft Teams. Um cheapest what else is there uh so recently been working on kit management um so we've got a new sponsor on board and oh sorry i'm just gonna end this sorry no problem so yeah we've recently recently got a new sponsor on board and making sure that the kit is what we expect and what we want so um and making sure that the players wear the necessary things, um, especially on media days and when we're playing, because obviously that's front and center and goes out to all our followers on all our social media platforms um, and then is you know broadcast to 
international audiences. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I don't know. I job description with me. Uh, it sounds like an incredibly <laughs> broad role anyway. I mean, I don't want yeah. to kind of labor the point about an MBA, but with that being so broad as well, it sounds like it's probably been quite helpful to have that kind of background before you move into this kind of position. Yeah, definitely. I think if, I mean, one of the core skills or key skills that I learned during my MBA while playing professionally was time management. Um, when you've, I mean, you, you, you'll know full well that there's a lot of work to get through with the MBA and scheduling time to get that done um, is important, especially after a long day of training to sit down and do, you know, additional readings or um, sort of engage in the online uh, tutor groups and things like that is, is important, but you need to find the motivation to get that done. So I did, I tried to really plan and make sure that when I said, okay, I'm going to be studying now, I was studying then. Um, again, thankfully my wife at the, t- uh, well, it was my girlfriend at the time, but she was doing her master's in occupational psychology. So we, you know, we were, we were both studying a lot and studying hard, which helped because it meant that we could just sit down and say, okay, this is the time that we've blocked out and we're going to do X amount of work for, you know, the next two, three hours or whatever it might be. So that helped. Um, but time management was huge. I think the other thing is you know, having a good understanding of um, various elements of the organization. So whether it be, um, you know, financial management and budgets and things like that to, it sounds ridiculous, but human resources and marketing. I mean, mm-hmm. it all comes into it. So I've all got, you know, a finger in those, those pies around the sports organization itself. So um, yeah, I mean, the MBA, definitely served me well but as I said with the with my dissertation it allowed me to sort of really engage in the strategy of the change and the vision of the change really drive that forward and and you know help me better understand how that process works um, and how I can really get involved in it and, and make sure that it's successful. And on top of all of that, um, you set up Talk Training in, in 2018. Um, yeah, another string to your bow. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, my brother and I, well, my brother has been in the fitness uh, gym industry for, well, over, over 10 years now. Um, and during that time, he always wanted to, to start his own, his own gym. Um, it just helped that I'd done my MBA. So I had a bit of sort of background in terms of setting up, well, understanding how to set up business um, and the functions that we need to tick off and, and make sure that we had marketing in place and financial forecasting in order to keep the business running for, you know, at least two years on, on the capital that we had. Um, so we made quite a good team in terms of, I had more sort of business management experience and he obviously had the experience from an operational perspective. Um, we had the concept and the idea already about what we wanted to do. And so we started that in 2018, but I must say that was probably one of the bigger learning curves that I went through in terms of site acquisition, um, financial forecasting and making sure that we had adequate funding for, you know, for at least, as I said, two years or 18 months um 
and then basically implementing, you know, he was the one who implemented the operational side of things, but it was, yeah, it was, it's been, it's been a hell of a journey. And more recently, we both realized that we needed to bring people on board in order to help us uh, grow the business, just purely out of a time resource. Um, you, you know, he did not have time to develop the gym itself in that he was either coaching or he was personal training. So, um, you know, in order to bring that revenue in, he needed to do both. And he just didn't have enough hours in the day to be able to, you know, develop the business as such. And I didn't have enough time with my role currently in order to find new business. So we were relying on a model where, you know, there was, we were relying on our marketing and, and word of mouth, but there was no actual sort of day-to-day -day business development that was going on. Um, so we both decided that we needed to bring in um, some help and some support. And so we got a few more investors involved. Um, my brother and I are still majority shareholders, which is great, but it's definitely allowed us to focus on certain elements of the business. So he is definitely now more business development. Um, we have a new head of operations. We've got a, a finance director who really helps in terms of guiding me in terms of what I need to do from a finance, finance perspective, which is great. And he just overlooks and oversees the accounts. Um, but sort of understanding the profit and loss of the business and, you know, the revenue streams and those types of things and was important. And it allowed me actually to focus on bringing in a new revenue stream in terms of what our corporate offering was. So, um, which was something that we needed to focus on and something that we'd started doing, uh, but became more evident in that with COVID hitting, there was a lot more demand for, corporates wanting um exercise classes online um so we've yeah we've developed our online hub uh, through our operations head of operations um and yeah we've just pulled together and it's just given us you know we've, we've got a lot more hands on deck now to allow us to develop the business and and this and the business is now slowly grow, growing uh which is great because you know under any circumstances you know with the pandemic on at the moment you you probably wouldn't expect that. So um, although it could change at any moment, we just trying to stay, you know, keep ahead of it and, get, and keep managing, you know, the things that we do and do them to the best of our abilities so that when we come out of it, we, we're in a strong position. Mm. I know we don't have much longer with you, uh, but we always ask guests on the podcast, uh, what advice would you give to current students? So really quickly, what advice would you have for students in the classroom at the moment? Uh definitely plan your time wisely so and don't underestimate how important those additional readings are how important the readings are in terms of um really engaging with the theory um you know you can get sidetracked by you know it's an additional reading and i can utilize my experience from work no the whole point is that you develop because you get so many different experiences and and really engage with those people within your cohort to you know to give you a fresh understanding of the material um, because there's most certainly not one way for everything um, although theory and practices is great um, you know there are many other small nuances that you'll learn from other people and and from the readings and from you know reading 
anything that has uh, relevance to the material that you're studying, but also asking people for their experiences in different organizations, different industries um, is hugely beneficial. Mm. Nick, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. That was that was great. I really appreciate it. And um, good luck for the rest of the season too. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So, Catherine. Yes, Chris. How was that? Really, really interesting. Um, obviously quite different from, from a lot of the guests um, we've had previously coming from, from a sports background. Um, but just really interesting to hear about the, the role that um, business and, and MBA has to play within, within that field. Um, yeah, how about you? I agree. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, there were a few things that I found really interesting too. I mean, going right back at the start, um, that idea of a professional development manager almost nudging him in the, yeah. the direction and how much of an impact the MBA then had on his kind of future experience. I thought that was yeah. a really interesting point. I think he always seemed to have had the the approach that um, education came first and then sports and rugby was sort of a great if it worked out but it was it was never the only option for him and he always seemed yeah. to have that kind of objective you know outlook of um keeping his options open so to speak yeah. he seems to have quite a strategic approach generally mm. i would say um but yeah you know he he talked a lot about kind of culture and the role that has to play in leadership so clearly the mba has had a huge impact on on his career today mm. yeah yeah and i mean i thought it was it was really interesting that the mba had a real practical impact on his life afterwards and, and and this idea that he knew all about change and and the importance of culture and he almost saw it happen before his eyes at Bristol as he was kind of in uh, as in the aftermath of finishing his MBA I thought that was really interesting and this emphasis on on team culture and, and we were talking about it in the context of elite sport but the same principles apply of if you have a team that has a high level of trust um, everyone understands the vision and you hire the right people to pull you in the direction you know those are those are a recipe for success in any context. Yeah, everybody recognises that, don't they, in a sports setting, if you look at a football club or a rugby team. Um, but a team is a team, essentially, and whether it's in the workplace or within within um, sports, it's it's essentially, it's the same, it's the same theory playing out in front of you. Mm. And obviously, they've gone through a change process from, you know, they were you said they were relegated, and now they're mm. top of the league. Um, so something's gone well with what they've done, and they're obviously doing something right. Yeah, I suppose that's the evidence he needs in terms of implementing that culture and the, the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Catherine. And thanks again to all of our listeners to the podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please don't forget to subscribe and share. I've been Chris Roberts. And I've been Catherine Kirby.